Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we are happy to be back up in your ear holes again today. Holy shit. It's hot. Now, usually I'm the one that's going on about the weather, but this time it's your turn because the Pacific Northwest is experiencing an unprecedented heat wave of absolutely massive impact. They're calling it like a heat dome. I don't know. I haven't read about it, but all I know is it's like a hundred and fucking five today and it's supposed to be like a hundred and twelve tomorrow and... And I feel super bad for you, because just before we got started, you had to run around and turn off all your fans, because uh, the white noise in the background, these microphones we use are, are pretty good and pretty sensitive, so uh, you did the rounds in, in your space and turned off all your uh, all your fans, which, uh, you right. know, usually when, we turn, usually when we turn off fans, you do, we do it with podcast episodes, but, uh, you know, this time, uh, you know, you're actually turning off actual fans. hey No, this time it's like I had to go around and shut off all the fans in the house, so there's absolutely no circulation in the house right now. I am sweating buckets. It's fantastic. It's, mm. a, it's a good thing this is an audio medium at this point. So, but we <laughs> want to we want to thank you guys for listening in again. Jim, how you doing this week, man? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, the, the weather here is not so bad. It's, it is summer, but uh, it's it's a, a balmy 75 degrees and it is humid. So, but I have previously lived in both Vegas and Fort Lauderdale, so I understand what incredible baking desert heat is like, and I also understand what real humidity feels like. It's pretty, you know, wet in the air around here, but I've never experienced anything like South Florida, and never hope to again. No. Um, but uh, weather-wise, things are pretty good. Um, uh, I did have a little bit of a frustrating situation yesterday. Um, I am uh, I, I went from uh, zero to two bands uh, really, really quickly once I decided to kind of put myself out there and think about doing some music again. So I'm singing in one, playing drums in another, and I need some equipment. Yes, But sir. Uh, most of the music stores are about, uh, they're in Milwaukee, so they're, they're a little bit of a drive. Um, so uh, I've been trying to get up to uh, this one store that sells used gear, which I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty budget conscious at this point, like most people are about everything, but particularly Cough, musicians. cough, cheap. Uh-huh, yeah, frugal. I prefer frugal. There you go. Um, so I went up to, uh, I've been trying to get up to this music store to try and find some, some gear for a couple of weeks, but something always goes wrong. I'm in town for another reason, and then I try to stop over there, and they wind up being closed because of short staffing issues. Or I plan to go up there uh, based on the hours that are posted on the internet, and I get up there, and they've, they've shut down early because they don't have people to cover. Which, you know, I can't be mad at the store. I really can't. It's it's really capitalism I'm pissed off at. Um because it really is one of those things where they, they, they just can't pay people enough to, to really come in and, and work the hours they need because uh, it's retail. Um, so, you know, retail, food service, there's a lot of industries that are suffering that are, that are experiencing quote-unquote hiring shortages uh, only because they don't want to cough up a decent salary for people. So, you know, on the one hand, I, I kind of don't want to patronize those places because obviously they're fucking over their staff. But on the other hand, you know, the people that are showing up and working, you know, I, I, I have to get my stuff. So I've been trying to get up there for a goddamn month, and I just always miss them by like five or ten minutes, or or I, I don't get over there. So yesterday was another one of those days. I, I saw the hours on the internet. They said they were open until seven, and uh, I went up there uh, around, got there right around six, and went to go tug on the door, and uh, it was locked. So it's just been a frustrating time, but whatever. I mean, I'll get it done. It's just going to take a little more time. Yeah, I had that too. I went up uh, yesterday. I finally was able to acquire myself. The uh, mythical Xbox Series X, and Woo-hoo! all I had to do to drive and get that was go all the way up to Seattle on a Saturday, which normally that wouldn't be too difficult. It's like 60, 70 miles away, 
it's not too bad. Little did I know, they had part of the freeway shut down yesterday for construction. And so the big old detours that you have to go through and uh, an hour and ten minute drive coming back turned into an almost three hour ordeal. Oh my god. Um, but, uh, but. Long, long story short, worth it because I got the Xbox Series X at uh, at cost. So I didn't even end up paying scalper prices or anything else like that. So it, wow. wa- it was used... Lightly used. It was in good condition. Uh, the guy just didn't play it. He bought it from a scalper himself, and, and he just didn't end up playing it. He figured it was a waste of money, so he decided to uh, uh, get rid of it at what you know normal price would be, and I snapped it up and brought it home. And the positive aspect of this is now every time I buy a goddamn game system, I have to unwire everything in my entertainment system to make <sighs> this accomplished. And uh, those of you who know me know that my entertainment system is usually very frustratingly placed. So it's really hard to do. Uh, and with as many systems as I usually rock in and out of that s- setup, is, it's just it's, it's untenable at best. It's a, it's a project. Yeah. On this particular note, however, kudos to Microsoft. I brought that thing home. The connectors are exactly the same as the uh, Xbox One X that I had installed previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, battery pack is internal, so it's just the power cord and the HDMI cord, and uh, it plugged all right into the previous setup, so all I had to do was swap it out, and it works like a dream. And on top of that, something awesome that happened as well, I use a Logitech, one of those Logitech Harmony uh, master remotes for everything. Yeah. And I... Was like, ah, oh, shit. Well, at the very least, I'm going to have to reprogram the remote to uh, change the input from the Xbox One to the to the uh, Xbox Series X. And nope, it takes all the same signals. It's still wired and ready to go. So literally, the easiest system I have ever set up in my life. Wow. See, Apple could take a lesson or three from uh, Microsoft's backward compatibility policies. Absolutely. It's not just the, uh, the fact that the consoles play most of the older games as well. But, you know, I know that... Uh, Proprietary cords and shit. Yeah, why do you got to keep changing yeah. the cord? I'm not a fan of Apple, but it's, they've been mocked a lot for uh, constantly coming out with new connectors. Oh no, this one uses a FireWire cable. This one uses a Lightning cable. You know, they, every every laptop and every phone they come out with, they change the fucking connectors, and they say they do it for efficiency's sake. But you know, they're doing it so you can't use your old shit. Yeah, they Apple want you. They want you a, at that market buying the new one. Oh yeah. Yeah, the biggest expense for any anybody who, who's, who's kind of locked into that Apple ecosystem is those fucking dongles and all those adapters and everything. It's ridiculous. The, it the, is. Once they get you locked in, they know that you're kind of in that in that environment, and they just they can turn around and sell you all these ridiculous accessories. And uh, that's, that's you know Apple. That's the I, same reason I, I never get out of the Samsung architecture at this point. Right. I'm far too invested in that. Apple is a marketing company with electronics division. They just they <laughs> I, I'm not I've never been a fan of theirs because of that. You know, that whole, oh, no, 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 we got you. This is the way you do that. There's sort of counterintuitive walled garden approach to things. It's like, but, it's more you know, aesthetics than, than usability almost. So, I mean. Oh, exactly. That's that's what, you know, and I, I'm not going to paint Apple users with a broad brush, but that whole it just works thing is, you know, both <laughs> uh, annoying and also inaccurate. I've had problems with Apple shit before. The, the rare things that I've owned, like the job that I have often requires me to have a, a company-issued laptop, and because I do creative work, um, even though it's writing, I still, you know, most creative directors and most most uh, people who, who buy the equipment for these jobs, they assume that uh, 
that you need to have the same laptop as the artists do. And all art directors have sort of swallowed the Kool-Aid that, you know, you have to have a Mac to be able to do creative work, which is not true. There's some great graphic suites on PC. Uh, Corel Draw and Corel Photo Paint are two that I used to use back in the day. They're still around. They're still fantastic. And, uh, you know, Adobe constantly rips off their features when they come out with new things. And it's like an edition or two later, they, you know, oh, this revolutionary new feature. And it came out in the Corel stuff a couple editions ago. And... So, you know, I'm just not a fan of Apple, but uh, I do often have to work on their, their equipment. And, um, you know, it's, it's as long as all I have to do is, is write. If I have to open up a, a browser and have Google Docs or if I have to use Word, that's fine. That's all the deeper I have to get into it. But, um, yeah, I found myself awfully frustrated more than once with the way that Apple has set things up within their, uh, their internal uh, architecture. And it's just, I don't know. I would never use it on my own. Uh, I would never choose it. It just seems like paying way too much to, to paying three times as much to get half as much. I agree. Oh, I did remember something I wanted to talk to you about, and I know I kind of uh, oh, glossed yeah. over with you here, but uh, they had this. Uh, as you guys in the podcast, uh, our, our audience know, our fanatics. I've decided to start calling you guys fanatics. I like it. Yeah, that'll work. It works for me, unless you guys got a better name. In which case, let us know. But uh, uh as you guys know, we are fans of New Wave Toys and their architecture of uh, replica arcade systems. And we've talked to Shiloh Prychek in the past on the podcast, and he was absolutely fantastic. I'm a number one human being. And uh, I ended up getting emails from them and all of my email addresses because I've ordered from them under numerous different email addresses. But uh, they have a survey going around right now. And in this survey, they're talking about branching out into one six scale replica pinball i don't know how they're going to do it i my guess is it's going to be digital just because you know you can flick a little marble around all you want but it's not going to give you the same performance as a as a, a pinball but uh, i don't know how they're going to do it the broad strokes are they're going to be making one six scale pinball arcades or pinball cabinets and they wanted to know what everybody's idea on where they should go with it do they want to do licensed properties do they want to do like the old school pinball how do they want to go and i could not be more excited about that i told my wife she looked at me and she because she got the survey too because she's bought stuff for me from them too and as she looked at the survey she goes oh that's going to be a lot more money isn't it and i'm like yeah they already got it <laughs> this is an expensive development yeah but it would, i think it would have to be digital <clears throat> if for no other reason than because uh the physics of pinball are the entire experience, and you, you've got to have yeah, that, that exactly. sort of uh, that the, the specific weight of the actual pinball itself, and of course the way that it reacts to the flippers and the pins and the the features on the actual board. And it would be impossible to recreate that with a ball bearing; you just yeah, couldn't do it. Small you know, step. you'd have to have something. Yeah, you'd have to have it be be. Um, you'd have to do something different with it. But if anybody can handle it, it's it's definitely Shiloh and New Wave Toys. Absolutely. And speaking of pinball, I went down <clears> for my uh, buddy Eric's. Uh, birthday party yesterday and he had a little get together at uh, fully vaccinated get together which was super nice uh we went to the olympia pinball museum and i hadn't nice. been in there yet and and another business i'm glad survived the pandemic but you walk in and it's not a wide uh building space it's it's kind of narrow but like wall-to-wall pinball from front to back and it's just amazing it's the loudest most just obnoxious setting and surroundings and 
but it's just it's it felt like home my add was being triggered like crazy it's like oh, oh bright, yeah bright and shiny over there Ooh, what's that sound Ooh, what's that doing Ooh, i want to play that Ooh, no, flashing play dinging that. noise yeah. lights <laughs> yeah and i've never been I, i've been to the uh, the pinball hall of fame in vegas which is uh kind of a similar facility it's it's also just rows and rows and rows of pinball machines fantastic and then not far from me in the suburbs of chicago maybe an hour hour and a half away from where i'm sitting there's uh, the largest surviving arcade in North America, which is Gallop and Ghost Arcade. And I think the URL is just Gallop and Ghost Arcade. But if you, if you were to Google Gallop and Ghost, you'd find it. Um, but they are this absolutely massive arcade. I have to get back down there again. And they've got every machine you could think of, some you've never heard of. And then there's one room in the back that's got all the really, really rare. Like they've got one, um, like a submarine game called In the Hunt that's actually got like a water tank on the top of it. And I think there are only about a dozen of those made. Uh, they've got a couple of different things where they um, prototypes and really really rare cabinets, but they've got them really broken up into sections. Like they got the fighting set, the fighting game alley, where you can find your Tekkens, your Mortal Kombat's, your Street Fighters. Then they got the classics alley where you're going to find like your uh, your Pac Man, your Defender, your uh, your Donkey Kong, uh, Dig Dug, Cubert, that kind of stuff. And then like they got a whole row of like the um, the gun based games where you can kind of sit with one foot up and the, the the like the replica gun is attached to it, like that. Um, Oh gosh, I don't remember the names of them. There's there's a couple of those, and then uh, Sniper Scope I think is one of them, and there's just a bunch of them. But it's it's a fantastic, and then puzzle games they got like uh, Tetris and Clacks and stuff in another area. So it's huge. They've got hundreds and hundreds of cabinets. And the last time I was there, granted it was about six years ago. I remember going on my 40th birthday. Um, but it was like 15 bucks. It was a prefix, 15 bucks. You can get in and all the machines are set to free play and you can just stand there and play until your goddamn arms fall off. So it was absolutely a great time. That's what last night was. It was like, uh, we had the, we had the space for like two hours and it was like 20 bucks and everything's on free play. It was great. They had like some skee ball in the back. They had Mm. a couple rows of arcade, but like just so much pinball. In fact, we were talking about pinball physics. They had one of the largest pinball tables I've ever seen. So large, in fact, that it doesn't play with a pinball. It plays with a cue ball, like a pool oh, ball. Wow. Things huge, and, and you're right. It it threw off the physics. Everything moved a little differently. Everything felt a yeah. little different. So, uh, anyways, we we kind of meander. But uh, happy birthday, Eric! By the way, uh, and uh, I will get you when we talk about the next season of Karate Kids Cobra Kai. So, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, what we're here to talk about is, uh, now I had this idea, and and anyone who's ever read a Marvel or a DC comic knows that Marvel and DC comics are very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They they leech off of each other. They're very... They're a little incestuous. A bit. And, and, And it's been going on for as long as there's been a comic book industry. As long as there's been comic books, there's someone who's copying that comic book. And that's not to say that, you know, one's right, one's wrong. It's just something that you kind of uh, have to learn to, to adapt to. And if you come out with a, a good formula, odds are good someone else is going to come out with something that's very, very reminiscent of that formula as well. And since we spent the last two episodes talking about uh, departed celebrities and got real heavy and depressing with it, we wanted to make sure today's topic was a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more... Uh, uh, happy-go-lucky and not quite so down in the dumps so mm-hmm. uh, we kind of want to talk about uh kind of a, have you ever seen those things on the internet who wore it better yes kind of the this or that and and 
So it's kind of like a matter of we want to do kind of a, a comic book who wore it better. Like we'll talk about a pairing and we'll discuss where they came from, when they came from, and then kind of the, the broad strokes of the characters and find out uh, who wore it better, who, who was the better version of the character. And in some cases, I'm going to know more than Jim. In some cases, Jim's going to know more than me. Uh, and in some cases, y'all out there are going to know more than we know. And that's why we want you to contact us here at the program and weigh in with your topic selections. And, and who would you pick? So in order to do that, you need to reach out with us on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. You can hit us up in our Gmail, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up at the backup Gmail, which is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find us at any of your favorite podcast syndication platforms. We got Stitcher, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on, uh, oh gosh, any place you get fine podcasts. And of course, those podcasts are syndicated from our dedicated platform on Buzzsprout, which is fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com, which if you're impatient, well, we're flattered. And you can also go there and find the <laughs> latest episode uploaded before it gets distributed to the other platforms. And, um, yeah, so FYF Talent Booking, that's the place where you want to send your show suggestions, uh, your guest suggestions, especially if they're yourself. And, of course, the drum roll, please, pie recipes. And uh, We got uh, our first Saint pie recipe. We're proud to announce we got our first pie recipe. Yes, yeah, so and now uh, I'm going to have to get bacon, not, not when it's in a heat wave, but... Uh, yeah, you don't want to bake when it's ninety, uh, when it's one hundred and five degrees outside. But we did get our first pie recipe from uh, longtime listener Renee, who is a very, very dear person. We're very happy to have her listening. Absolutely, and she sent us a pie recipe, and it sounds delicious. And uh, we'll break that down in a future episode when we when we actually uh, get some pies. And like we talked about, you know, like we always say, uh, uh, everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. So I'm a fan uh, of pie. pie fandom. Pie fandom, totally valid. So we're going to make some pies at some point, and Renee's will be among them, and we'll have just a, a an egregious episode where we eat pies and talk about the pies, but that is not today. No, but I will give you guys a hint. Cookie pecan Mississippi mud pie. Sit oh, on that Jesus. for a while. Sit I, I on got, that. I, I felt my blood sugar spike just reading the recipe. Oh, my God. I know, right? Thank you, Renee, for sending that to us. We're looking forward to making that uh, a reality and, and stuffing it in our face holes. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I said, today we are going to talk about superhuman, uh, superhero comic book pairings, uh, that have, uh, occurred between DC and Marvel, specifically DC and Marvel. Now, of course you go outside of DC and Marvel and you got, uh, analogs as well, all across the board. You've got people like Homelander or Omni-Man who are both, you know, analogs for Superman and things like that. And I mean, they're, they're, like I said, if you have comic book character that works and it is traction, odds are good it's going to get spoofed, mocked, and or copied. But this particular case, we're talking between Marvel and DC, the two big publishing powerhouses. So, Jim, I'm going to throw a pairing at you first. And I want, you to, I want you to kind of <clears throat> t- weigh in on, on who you think came first. And uh, we're going to talk about the characters and their first appearances and whether or not they hold up and who wore it better. So first off, I want to go to one of the most obvious choices. Uh, DC's Aquaman, Arthur Curry. Or you've got Marvel Comics, Prince of Atlantis, Namor. Aha. Now, yeah. which which would you say came first, if you had to wager a guess, based on everything you know about comic books? 
Um, if I were to guess, uh, and I'm probably wrong, but I would guess it would be Aquaman first, only because, you know, uh, Marvel definitely has a more dedicated fan base, and we're going to find that kind of across the board as we talk about these matchups, but um, DC has a sort of more, like, mainstream household name superheroes. Um, like, if you stop most people on the street before the MCU, of course, and ask them if they knew who Iron Man's secret identity was, most people would not be able to come up with Tony Stark. But most kids watch the Super Friends. Most kids know about Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. Those are kind of your more mainstream heroes. So if I were to venture a guess, and I'm probably wrong, I would say that Aquaman probably came first just because he's got the name recognition. Now, here's the thing. Aquaman's first appearance was in More Fun Comics number 73. Now, this is all according to Wikipedia, so if they're wrong, you can blame Wikipedia. Don't send me your angry emails. Uh, send me angry pie recipes. You can send Kevin hate mail at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. Get out of here. <laughs> Aquaman, first appearance. More Fun Comics number 73, November 1941. Now, Prince, okay. Prince Namor, who was a Fantastic Four... Uh, foe for quite some time uh also uh he was a captain america uh kind of uh stand aside stand between nah i can't figure the right word not i don't want to say sidekick because he wasn't a sidekick but he was one of captain america's invaders during world war ii yeah along with the original human torch and uh, a couple others but uh he first appeared motion picture funnies weekly number one April in 1939. Ah, it's almost a year and a half head start. So got him a couple years on him. But uh, the thing <clears> is, <throat> and, and here's, again, what you've said. Aquaman's got a lot of name recognition, most recently because of his appearance in the uh, DCEU films played by the ever-fucking-gorgeous Jason Momoa. Yeah, that but, guy's a specimen, huh? Oh, my God. But we won't get into that. Holy shit, that's a whole other topic. I'm sweating already. But uh, he's he's kind of the on the tips and tongues of everybody else talking right now because uh, he's he's made big screen debuts and he's uh, played pretty well by by uh, uh, Jason Momoa. And before that, we ended up having all the Aquaman jokes from like uh, Robot Chicken and, and Challenge of the Super Friends. He was always kind of lame and riding on dolphins like jet skis and shit like that and yeah, if the Justice League ever like divided up teams to play, uh, you know, shirts and skins basketball, you, you got to know that Aquaman is one of the last picked. He's been the butt of jokes for years because of his little scaly shorts and you know his little winged boots and. Oh, what do you, you do? Know, Talk uh, to fish. Yeah, it turns out fish don't have much interesting to say. There's a reason why that goldfish have a three-second memory, and they're just not very valuable fonts of information. So yeah, <laughs> until Aquaman got remade into the mold of of Jason Momoa, he was kind of again seen as being pretty lame, seen as being the butt of jokes. And, you know, a lot of that was for good reason. Um, but if you... Uh, so, so for that reason, I'm personally giving it to Namor. Because Namor, um, he's kind of an anti-hero in some ways. I mean, some, he, he just he, he has his own agenda. He's served as both villain and hero. He just does what's right for him, or what he feels is right. What he feels is right for his kingdom, in, in, in most cases. So he's kind of been on both sides of the ledger in, in, in the Marvel Universe. And That's you never true. know where, where that guy's coming from. So I always find gray morality a much more fascinating uh, character study than just, you know, twirling mustaches and white hats. I I, I don't think, you know, nobody in this world is completely evil or complete, well, I can't really say that. There are some people who are completely evil. But, you know, the, the classic, like, Hitler liked dogs example, you know. Or, um, 
you know, uh, all these people that we talked about uh, over over the episodes that we just did about, you know, folks that have passed on, uh, there are whole problematic articles, or, or not problematic articles, but articles on, like, BuzzFeed and other pop culture sites that say, yeah, you know, we, we worship Steve Jobs as an innovator and as a visionary, but that guy was horrible to his family. Or, you know, we, we, we look up to um, Martin Luther King Jr. as being a, a, a civil rights leader, which he was, but he was also a, a notorious philanderer. So nobody's perfect. Uh, so anytime that you have a character who kind of floats between the extremes a little bit and who has a complex psychological profile who can be either good or kind of self-serving and kind of bad, depending on the situation, I find them much more interesting. So in the battle of who wore it better between Aquaman and Namor, um, Aquaman has, has a, a history of being pretty lame, only became cool recently, but Namor has always been cool. and He's, he's been cool for a lot longer because he's got that year and a half head start. Agreed, and 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 they're bringing him to the big screen now. It looks like rumors have been circulating that he has been cast uh, in the new Black Panther movie as a foil to Wakanda, and then there's definitely hinted at in the first Black Panther movie, and I think in Endgame as well. Maybe uh, there have been some uh, the Easter egg spotters have definitely seen hints that that Namor is 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 in the works. Right, and, and there is comics uh, precedent for that as well. Uh, there, there was a point in time where the Phoenix Force in Marvel Comics was split into five different people, including Cyclops and, uh, I believe, Jean... Not Jean Grey. Cyclops, uh, let's see, uh, Emma Frost had it, mm-hmm. a Magic from uh, the t- uh, New Mutants, uh, and I forget who the other one was, but then Namor also had a piece of it. And what Namor did with his piece is... He brought a flood to Wakanda, trashed Wakanda, uh, and started a civil war between Atlantis and Wakanda. So, see, in an Afrofuturist society that's based on technology, uh, you you definitely don't want to get your chips wet. You know, <laughs> vibranium is is going to survive either way. But uh, the whole the whole point of Wakanda is that it's it's uh, it's very Afrofuturist, and so once you uh, sort of flood their 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 shit a little bit, it's uh, it's it's not going to work out well for for. <laughs> for, for those folks having to, to get the stuff they need to get their things done. Right. So it's, I'm interested to see how they bring him in. Obviously, he's going to be much more prevalent as a Fantastic Four character when and if they finally get the Fantastic Four off the ground. But I'm interested to see how they use him as a foil for uh, Wakanda. So For sure. All right. So my vote, Namor. Your vote, Namor. I think Namor takes at this point. Special mention to the ever-wonderful Jason Momoa. Uh I, I, I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers. So, And I'm not even into dudes, but right. ditto. Yeah, exactly. We're going to talk about one more. We'll take a break. This one is uh, a femme fatale category. Catwoman, Selena Kyle, versus the black cat, Felicia Hardy. Mm. If you had to pick one, who would you say came first? Well, both of these two kind of tie into what we were just talking about a second ago about gray morality, uh, because they've uh, they've both kind of floated in between a villain or hero, depending on the situation and the circumstances. Yes, sir. Um, they're both they're both uh, you know uh, cat burglars within there, which obviously that ah. kind of ties into the name as well. Uh, well, you know, it's it's true. I'm not even making a dad joke. That's kind of their 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 day job, well, their night job essentially. But that's that's their uh, what they do is they they are live and acrobatic and they steal things um so in terms of uh gosh costume uh, let's start off with that like at the risk of like being super sexist i gotta give it to black cat because that costume um is just really 
it's always been it's it's gone through several variations, but the domino mask and the um, the sort of white hair, blonde platinum blonde contrast against sort of the the the, the black suit with the, the the fur accents. I think she's got a better costume. Um, oh, see now I would have to defer to Selena on that one. I think Catwoman's yeah. newest costume with the like the skin tight leather bodysuit and then the, the 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 goggles and everything else. I don't know. I like that. There's something about it. Yeah, you know what? I think uh, I don't know. I, I'm still sticking with Felicia on this one, um, but I, I, I definitely get it. But again, both of these two, um, <clears throat> obviously Felicia has had an on again, off again thing with Peter Parker slash Spider Man when he's either on the outs with Gwen or Mary Jane or whoever it is, or she flirts with him even when he's married and he just gets small in a tizzy. And uh, <laughs> Catwoman, even though she sort of like hangs out largely in the Rogues Gallery in in, in, in DC and has sort of been like a an antagonist for Batman. Um, Bruce and Selena's uh, tete-a-tetes have been very well documented. They are an item a lot of time. They're married now, aren't they? Uh, You know, depending on the continuity you believe, in whichever universe you happen to be occupying at the time, they've definitely had some uh, some closer relationships. So I think they are in some versions of the the universe. Um, But, you know, I I think I have to give... uh, My my personal vote is for Black Cat on this one. Just because uh, Felicia is is sort of, like, very mischievous. Uh, Catwoman, Selena Kyle, she's very serious. Um, why so serious? You know, she's very serious. <laughs> she gets the job done, but she doesn't have that sort of most of the time that levity, that sort of like that little bit of a giggle, kind of behind the uh, the malice that that Felicia does. And Felicia's playfulness, uh, I think, not only ties in to um, sort of the the whole cat theme because cats they, they go back and forth between being assholes and being absolute bundles of, of joy. So I think she embodies the motif of the cat better. I like her, her, her costume better. I like her character better. So I'm going to vote Felicia on this one. Okay, well, I give you that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take the opposite track. I'm going to vote for Catwoman. Selena, uh, I mean, she's, she's a really good foil for the ever-dour Batman. I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think Felicia gets a lot of her playful attitude uh, because she's built to be a foil for Peter Parker, who has that same kind of... Quip, quip, wisecracking dad wise joke crack. sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And so if she was all dour and serious like Catwoman, she wouldn't have that kind of the same kind of relationship. It wouldn't work. Whereas you got funny on funny, you got uh, serious and dour versus you know she she. I think she is uh, a little more quippy and a little more funny, but it's just not to the same level as cat or as uh, Black Cat because uh, she's not playing off as of someone who is. A jokester. She's playing like so. Like if you measure it against Batman's seriousness, she's a regular fucking comedian, you mm. know. And, and so I figure yeah. you got to give it to kind of that idea too. Well, so well, and, and then again, if you can break down like archetypes, character archetypes, I think uh, the reason why I, uh, I I give the edge to Felicia on this one is, you know, Felicia is a uh, a Betty, and uh, Catwoman's a Veronica. If you've got like kind of your your uh, that's an interesting your... way to put that. Well, if you got your sort of sultry sexy versus your bubbly sexy, they're both adorable as hell and, and very sexy, but, um, you know, the, the sort of bubbly, giggly, cute versus the sort of like, um, you know, uh, sultry scotch and cigarettes sort of thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just my personal preferences that have always kind of been uh, more interested in bubbly and cute in uh, a personal level. But again, you know, that's a very sort of like white male gaze cis straight kind of thing to look you know these comics are there's a lot of problematic depictions of female characters in comics yes because for so many years they were designed to appeal 
mostly to a male audience, so you, you kind of want to divorce their, their sex appeal from their, their characters, but in the cases of these two, it's really hard to do it because much of what they do in the comics is sort of predicated upon that. So it's it's difficult, it's problematic to think about and talk about, but um, it must be acknowledged, you know, even if it's a, a, an issue with their characters that has been sort of something that's been talked about quite a lot. Um, what does yeah, it say I, I about me that get I'm, into that? But what does it say about me that I'm into the the chick and the black leather body cat suit and the fucking bullwhip? I don't know. Uh, you know, we don't, don't know. have time to unpack all of that, as John Mulaney <laughs> says. But, all right, um, now now we didn't yeah. get into their backstory. Uh, Catwoman's first appearance was in Batman number one in spring of 1940. The Black Cat first appeared in the Amazing Spider-Man number 194, July 1979. So that both characters have been around in, in one iteration or another for quite some time. Um, however, uh, Catwoman takes the age on that one. So, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, we will continue these mashups as we go. Uh, remember, if you want to weigh in with yours, uh, hit us up on the Facebook group, hit us up on the Gmail. But we're going to keep plugging right along when we come back from this break. Welcome back. Now comes some more comic book Marvel versus DC mashups. And da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. all right, so the first one I want to talk to you about, Jim. Very popular these days. Both characters have had a recent uh, exposure in heyday. So let's go. The Flash from DC Comics, Barry Allen versus. Oh, now it doesn't have to necessarily be Barry Allen. Hold on, I might have jumped a gun on that one. Because there have been several iterations of The Flash, so we'll just go. Mm -hmm. We'll take it back. We'll dial it back. We won't say The Flash. We will say, or we won't say Barry Allen. We will just say The Flash. Versus Marvel's Quicksilver. And the Pietro Maximoff. Pietro Maximoff. Now, who would you say, if you had to put money on it, came first? Um, I think The Flash. I remember reading some really old um, Silver Age Flash comics. Right. Um, so I would, I would, I would guess, I would place the Flash, maybe right around the same time as uh, most of your your sort of marquee uh, DC heroes. Probably sometime during World War Two. And and the first Flash I had was of course Jay Garrick, who they did play in the uh, uh, DC uh, CW show Flash. He was played uh, by oh, God damn it, I forgot his name. All of a sudden, he played the Flash in the original uh, television show. Oh, John Wesley Shipp. Yes. John Wesley Shipp plays uh, Jay Garrick Flash in uh, the DC's CW Flash. But and he played Barry Allen in the original version of the series. It was on in the 90s. In that and padded I think muscle suit. Job. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. That, that padded muscle suit. Uh, versus, of course, uh, Quicksilver in Marvel Comics, played by several people, but uh, uh, most notably by Aaron Taylor Johnson in the and Age also of Ultron movie and Evan Peters in the X-Men movies. Uh, and, and WandaVision. And we can't say on WandaVision. We, can, uh, we kind of can't say on WandaVision because that wound up being a fake out. But uh, it was Ralph. a good one. 
Ralph Boner. <laughs> Ralph Boner. Ralph Boner. Uh, oh, Quicksilver came in, uh, his first appearance was in the X-Men number four, the original X-Men title, in March 1964. Uh, the Flash, which I imagine would be the Jay Garrick version of The Flash, appeared in Flash Comics number one, January 1940. So a good couple uh, of yeah, decades so. and, a, and a half on uh, old Quicksilver there. But, World War II uh, era. Right. And uh, and he was he's been around since then in various incarnations. We've had, you know, Jay Garrick, Barry Allen, Wally West. I mean, we've had mm-hmm. a ton of flashes, but really only one Quicksilver, if not a couple actors who played him. But um, now, as far as who wore it best, now I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to the Flash, but I'm gonna give it to the Flash with a proviso. Uh, I'm going to give it to The Flash in the fact that we've seen more versions of him on big screen and small. And uh, we've gotten a, uh, a little bit of a taste of all the different types of Flash. So we've had different exposures to him. We've had, you know, the cartoon uh, Barry Allen, cartoon Wally West. We've had, you know, you know, JSA cartoons. We've had the Justice League cartoons. We've had uh, Challenge of the Super Friends and, and on all these different intake and versions of him. Not to mention the CW and and everything else, but really our exposure to Pietro has been limited to a couple of cartoon appearances uh, on like X Men Evolution, um, but and then also Age of Ultron and uh, the X Men films, the first class films. Uh, we've got much more interaction with the Flash. Uh, he's much more popular right now. And mm-hmm. as a speedster goes, he's always had a very kind of upbeat, genial personality. He, he's a friendly neighborhood hero. He's, he's quippy. Yep. He's, he's, he's fun. He's uh, not A-Train on the boys who, you know, <laughs> can pulverize your girlfriend running through her actual body on a curb. And, and really, I mean, I, I read a lot of the Marvel comics back in the day, so I had a lot of interaction with Quicksilver, but my interaction with, with Quicksilver was more through the X-Factor days. He was part of the uh, X-Factor uh, team of mutants, and uh, which was a government-mandated team run by a government liaison and blah, 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 blah. But he's an asshole. Pietro Maximoff, <laughs> 100% asshole. Like, I know they, yeah. play, they played him for laughs in the X-Men first-class films, and to great effect with Evan Peters. I loved Evan Peters in the role. That's not to sell Aaron Taylor Johnson short, but Aaron Taylor Johnson kind of got the attitude a bit more. Yeah, he had the furrowed brow and the kind of grim, dark, serious attitude. Whereas Evan Peters is kind of shrugging and chewing gum a lot of the time. And I like that interpretation of the character a lot better. And the the different stuff that you know, the MCU gets a lot of credit for really handling their characters in the best possible way. So it must be said that in the Fox X Men movies, uh, they definitely put out, I think, a better version of the character. They did more with him, and it was kind of in both cases they, they had ensemble casts. So that's not even really an excuse. You had your Avengers and you had your X Men. We're dealing with huge, huge amounts of people, but in the Fox movies, uh, the, the Quicksilver character just had so many great moments. Um, whether it was when the school blew up and he's running everybody to the outside, so they don't get caught up in the blast. And just kind of like taking his time to like, you know, uh, chew gum and poke things because he knows he's got all the time in the world because he's the fastest creature on earth. And then, of course, the very famous sequence 
uh, and I don't even remember which X-Men movie it was, because I've only seen it, it once, but I've watched the, the sequence on YouTube a bunch of times, because it's just pure fun, where uh, Xavier and uh, Wolverine are trying to break Magneto out of his, his glass prison. And, I want to uh, say that was Days of Future Past. I think you're right. I do believe it was, um, now that you mention it. And so you've got... Quicksilver along with you, and there's that awesome kitchen sequence where he runs around the walls and gives cops wedgies and steals their hats and pushes bullets out of the way. Uh, for all of the awesomeness that the MCU brings to their their character roster, they have done nothing with Quicksilver like what the Fox movies have done. And in fact, the Quicksilver character was so underutilized that in Age of Ultron, uh, they just killed him. I mean, they just killed him. Which, it's really... It's kind of nice to see the shoe be on the other foot for a change because, uh, you know, the, the women in refrigerators trope of we're going to absolutely murder or abuse or do horrible things to this female character. To develop as a another means character, of, yeah. To develop a male character and give him a reason to be angry or, or upset or experience loss or have sorrow. So the death of Pietro in the Marvel, in the MCU movies... Uh, has been used a lot for Wanda's character development, and it's still not great when they do that, but at the same time, it is nice to see kind of things go the other way for a change. But I think the Marvel films, for all their ownership of their characters and how much they've done with them in their movies and how much better they are uh, than Fox at really interpreting those things kind of across the board, Fox kills them in in every way imaginable with those those Quicksilver sequences in the X-Men films. I just loved them, and Evan Peters' performance was a big part of that, but the the effects were amazing. The the concept... It was just... And anytime I see a good concept that's well-executed, I have to give it respect. And in that case, at least on screen... um, Quicksilver, the, the Evan Peters version, has, has had a lot more juice that I, I really enjoyed drinking. They, they had a real problematic character in Pietro and Scarlet Witch, and so they've had to do a yeah. lot of backpedaling on on mm-hmm. how they sell those characters. Like, I mean, they've had a real interesting time with them. First, they were mutants, and, and, and the siblings were uh, uh, descended from Magneto. They were his kids. Then they yep. retconned that out of existence. Oh, they're still mutants, but they've been... Uh, manipulated by the high evolutionary then they did the ultimate universe in which case they were mutant brother and sister but they were kind of and uh yeah we don't talk about that (laughs) and then there's whole house of m thing which wandavision was in large part took a lot from to to, and so they really have been they've had a lot of of interpretations and a lot of uh, gosh those two characters i've just had they've they've been all over the place they can't figure out what they want to do with them and i'm glad that I'm glad that at least uh, with Scarlet Witch, they're kind of finding a place for her and finding a way to, to work with her in the MCU now that pays homage yeah. to her character but doesn't necessarily sell her kind of short. So, Well, my vote goes to The Flash. You, you giving your vote to the old Quicksilver there? You know, I don't think so. I think Quicksilver's been great on screen. Um, I honestly, t- t- to be fair uh, and to really kind of tell on myself, I have not watched too much of the uh, the DCEU stuff with Flash. Um, Grant Gustin and Ezra Miller, of course, being kind of the two halves of that character, at least in terms of playing the, the Barry Allen character. They're both going to um, be I in the movie. I didn't really watch. Yeah, that's true. That's weird. And I did not watch um, any of the, uh, the DCEU uh, Crisis in Infinite Earth stuff. I just didn't get into it. Uh, I, I, I'm a bad fan because I really haven't watched Flash. I haven't watched Supergirl. I haven't watched uh, Arrow. I haven't watched any of that stuff, really. Um, but I still, I'm going to go ahead and give the edge to the flash because a cooler costume, let's, let's, let's face it, you know, that's uh, easy. Fire engine red. Yes. Absolutely. Fire engine red, much cooler costume. And it comes out of a um, fucking ring. He holds yeah. it in a ring. How cool is that? Yeah. So much cooler costume and much better name recognition. 
and sort of a much more consistent character interpretation. Across the board, you're right. He's always been the funny, upbeat, friendly neighborhood hero. So um, Flash gets my vote on this one. All right. The Flash takes it, people. Next up, this one is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. We have DC Comics Lobo, the main man himself, the last Zarnian, versus Marvel Comics Wolverine. Now, this is a difficult one. Uh, Lobo, of course, made his first appearance in the Omega Men, number three, in June of 1983. Uh, Wolverine's first appearance uh, as a uh, cameo was in The Incredible Hulk, number 180, in October of 1974. But as a full appearance in the Incredible Hulk 181 in November of 1974, and he was created to be kind of this foil for the Hulk, uh, someone hunting down the Hulk, someone in the Canadian government hunting down the Hulk, and 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 being a pesterance to him. So that's kind of set up their relationship over the years, and of course everybody really liked the look of the character without the whiskers. Of course, they took the whiskers away, thankfully. But when they brought uh, the X-Men back in Giant Size X-Men number one, they included him as a Canadian mutant on the X-Men team. And, I mean, the rest, as they say, is super history. So, Jim, what do you know about Lobo? I've read quite a few Lobo comics, um, but I never could quite get a beat on his character. (laughs) Um, I don't remember enough about... I I just remember him as being very... um, sort of snarly and sort of half animal in a way. And I'm probably wrong about that, but that was definitely the, the image they were trying to sell. He's very animalistic. He's an alien, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he's got that cool-ass kiss face makeup. He carries around a giant gun. He sort of snarls. He's, you know, Lobo, of course, is wolf in Spanish, and so he's very um, canine in his kind of appearance. He's got the big teeth. He's, he's covered in fur. Fucking and he's just rides a space kind of a motorcycle. You know? Yeah, rides a space motorcycle, carries a giant gun. So he's kind of a psychopath. He just kind of does his own thing, again, like an anti-hero. Um, but I never I never really got that much into him as a character because uh, never, they never really seemed to know what to do with him, at least in the books that I read. He just kind of was, I mean, even in his own books, he just sort of like, you know, he was a bounty hunter, I think. He sort of like just went around snarling and, and beating stuff up and he had like, um, you know, psychotic quips. He was sort of really um, unpredictable and, and just bizarre and weird. So he's fun, but like he never grabbed me the way the Wolverine did. I mean, Wolverine obviously has a power set that everybody knows about by now. Um, he's got the uh, bone slash adamantium claws. He's got the metal bonded to his skeleton, which we see in both the comics and in the film versions. And he, um, of course, uh, heals very quickly from absolutely any injury. Don't forget uh, his fantastic his singing voice. You, you, you knit Wolverine, you, you, you cut Wolverine and the, the cut knits together. You break his bones and he picks himself up in a, in a minute or two and he's right back at you. He's just, he's, he's the, the kind of the embodiment of the, um, the trope that they call the Determinator. He just keeps coming at you no matter what you do. You can't stop him. You can't stop him. Um, and I've seen, I don't, again, remember what the book is because I've read so many books over the years and I don't remember the storylines or whatever. I just remember the moments. Um... But I remember he, at one point, I think he, he just got blasted apart. He just got scattered to atoms. Um, and they figured that would do it. But then, like, a pool of blood, his whole body regenerated from a pool. It took a couple of days. You know, and for a while he was walking around with, like, exposed muscle hanging out. And it must have sucked because it's painful. That's the thing that people don't remember about Wolverine is that, yeah, uh, like we talked about in the uh, Some Superpowers Will Suck episode, um, every time <laughs> that those claws come out of his hands, it hurts. It cuts his skin open. And, yeah, it heals right back up when he, uh, you know, puts them back in. But the whole time that he's got those claws out of his 
his hand. He's, he's working with open wounds that are painful. Uh, just the fact that you can heal really quickly doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. So he's just angry all the time. Um, and he, yeah, there's just so much about that character. The, the, the reason why he became so popular and was so compelling and went from a uh, sort of secondary um, villain just a rogues gallery kind of uh, second stringer, a bench warmer, to be in the Wolverine that everybody knows about today is based on how cool that character is. Not just his powers, but also his attitude and his personality. He doesn't take any shit from anybody because, I think we've talked about this before, I think we talked about this in the uh, Super Powers Will Suck episode, um, we talked about, like, uh, you know, James Elbar's The Crow. The, the Immortal have an attitude. You know, you can't say shit to me. You can't, you can't say anything. I'm just, you can't kill me. You can't hurt me. I mean, you can hurt me, but you can't stop me. And really, I've kind of, I'm jaded. I've been around the block a billion times. I've seen it all. I've done it all. You can't, I, I, there's no new experiences left in front of me. All I have to do is just keep on slogging through until whatever sentient force or, or random chaos that governs the universe sees fit to let me fucking die. So you, you got to deal with me and I got to deal with myself. So neither one of us is happy about that. So I, I really have always loved the character, and I just know so much more about him, and he's so much more prevalent in the pop culture that I'm going to give the, the vote on this matchup to Wolverine. I just love the character. Um, now, I, I, now, the thing with uh, Lobo, I like you said, I read a lot of the Lobo comics going growing up. And yeah, they're fun. They, they were fun. They were violent for no bloody reason. They were uh, explicit and... You kind of wanted, as, as a young teenager, you kind of wanted to read those because uh, they Danger were... Danger at a safe distance. Right, exactly that. And you get that edge and, ooh, this seems like something... There's like a rated R movie. Why am I reading this? I shouldn't be reading this. And 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 they had a lot of parody and a lot of different uh, uh, styles that they went in. Like, like you said, I didn't seem to know what to do with Lobo, but they, I distinctly remember one of them that I read was called Lobo Cop. Whereas it basically yeah. took Lobo and made him into Robocop, and it was ridiculous. Uh, and they throw him against Superman a lot, and, and, and really, I mean, he's got kind of the same shtick. He's, he's an alien, he's a Zarnian, he killed his entire population of his planet, so he was the last one. And then now he goes around space being this big bad space biker, and and, and mercenary, and, and bounty hunter, and... I always kind of pictured uh, Danny Trejo playing him. I could, yeah, total, I could totally book. fucking see that. But uh, like the cigar chomping thing, him and Wolverine kind of share. And the, the bad attitude they kind of share. And the regenerative abilities they kind of share. So I mean... I didn't know that about Lobo. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, like you said, from a drop of blood he could come back. So Yeah. But, so I mean, really the characters do share a lot of parody. Um, the other version of the word parody, P-A-I-R-I-T-Y, something like that, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But they, they do share a lot. They have a lot in common. But I get, as far as uh, how they've been portrayed and and the traction that they got, I mean, I'm obviously going to have to give this to Wolverine. Uh, the, the ubiquitous blue and gold spandex and, I mean, the bub. Yeah. The, the the beer swilling cigar chomping bad attitude having half pint midget with an attitude but still I heart mean, of gold will be there for you in a pinch if he cares about you kind of thing you know yeah like, like if with, he uh, if he's on your team fuck you're golden man he'll always yeah, have yeah, your you back. want him on your team even though he's hard to put up with and he's he's gonna be an asshole a lot of the time uh in a pinch he's got your back you know he, he's crusty on the outside but he's been around enough to understand that um yeah you know uh 
people got to rely on each other in a lot of ways. So whereas Lobo even if would he's, sell you out for a nickel. Yeah, yeah. There's no loyalty there. If if he, if he found it was funny, he would do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Wolverine. I'd say Wolverine gets a nod, Jim. Yep, I'm, I'm going to go Wolverine also on this one. All right, he's got so much more uh, so much more history to me. Snick, snick, bub. Mm-hmm. All right, next one's going to be a little bit uh, controversial, I think. Yeah. Uh, the next matchup is the Dark Knight detective himself, Batman, versus the Armored Avenger, Iron Man. Ooh, tough one. Batman's first appearance came in the 27th issue of the comic book Detective Comics on March 30th, 1939. Iron Man made his first appearance in Tales of Suspense, number 39, March 1963. So again, Batman, and, and as we seem to be seeing, a lot of the DC properties have had much more time to uh, be around and formulate and, and kind of uh, develop, exist and develop. And yeah, so um, Batman, of course, has been in a media darling since the 40s, really, but yeah. really took off in the 60s with our good friend Adam West, which we talked about on our live episode. Um, of course, there were, of course, the serials before that and everything like that. But uh, in the 60s, you know, Challenge of the Super Friends. And you had mm-hmm. he, appearances on Scooby-Doo, for God's sakes. Uh, <laughs> Batman and Robin have been kind of a thing going forward since the earliest of times of their existence. Uh, and, 80 years. Mm-hmm. And Iron Man, of course, being in 63... Uh, he kind of, I mean, he's always been an, an important character in the Marvel Universe, uh, on the page and everything like that. But really, I mean, he didn't get his due until Robert Downey Jr. and, and the Iron Man movie, John Favreau's Iron Man, in 2008. Which has my vote for the most perfect casting in the history of motion pictures. Right. As soon as they announced that casting, it was like, oh, good. Who's better to play a drunken, egotistical asshole than a, a drunken, a egotistical asshole. A <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, Batman, we've had very many castings, and, and some good, mm-hmm. some bad, some really bad, but mm-hmm. the good, the bad, the bat nipple. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as discussed on our live episode, I think we both went with Affleck kind of for that, didn't we? Or, well, I, went, you know, I went with Affleck. Who did you go for? I the forget. visual representation. I kind of split between Affleck and um, and I think Adam West. Because Adam West was my first Batman. And even though Affleck has had shit material to work with for the most part, he is kind of... His, his interpretation he embodies of it, yeah. His, yeah, he looks great. His performances are good. Um, he just got really bad scripts. Um, right. So his, he's, he's not been in good movies, but his interpretation of the character is very good. Now, that's not to say we haven't had multiple versions of Iron Man. If you go back into like the cartoon shows and the mm-hmm. uh, CGI cartoon that my kid used to watch all the time. It had like a teenage Tony Stark. It was really weird. Um, but for the most part, you know, teenage or not, but for the most part, Tony Stark and uh, Robert Downey Jr. are sort of inextricably linked and always will be. I think as, as far as this goes, yeah. And uh, uh, as far as who wore it better, Jesus, that's hard because uh, up until 2008, I would have given it to Batman hands down just because... Yeah. Even with the bad uh, visual representations of Batman, uh, we've had so much stuff to play with, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, seeing the awesome Batcave or seeing the Batmobiles, the various different uh, Alfreds, the 
the for good or bad versions of Robin, you know. Uh, we've got a lot to play with and a lot that we can digest as far as for sure. uh, interpretations of the character. But with the Iron Man, we hadn't up until 2008. And then you're right. When 2008 dropped and Robert Downey Jr. took over that role, he really took over that role. Yeah, he did. And just made it his own. And he's been such a driving force in this 23-24 movie arc of the MCU saga that it, we would not have an MCU without him. We would no, not have... he really was the, the first marquee hero. We, we, we kind of had the Hulk a little bit before that, um, yeah. but those interpretations of the Hulk on screen were not really well received. They weren't great. It really took a charismatic uh, guy like Robert Downey Jr. To, to really bring that character to life. And if you go back to that first Iron Man movie... Um, you know, where he's in the cave and he's putting together that, uh, he, he built it out of scraps, like Obadiah staying to scream in the inch from that guy's face in the, uh, back at the, the arc reactor. Um, yeah, he really, uh, he, he was such a great, it was such a great performance and it was such a great retelling of that story. Um, so yeah, it, who wore it better? It's, it's really tough. I mean, they both have cool as shit costumes. Batman is, he, he looks like Dracula. Uh, Iron Man, he's just, a, he's, he's basically a race car in a, in, with a man inside. I mean, it's just, it's both versions uh, or both characters are just, you can't take anything away from either one of them. They're both, you know, visually concept wise, just fantastic. I'm going to say I'm leaning still towards Batman. Uh, but like you said, it's far closer than I would have even imagined a few years ago. Um, yeah. I, I've always been a fan of the dark Knight. I always will be, uh, whatever the interpretations, I try to find something good out of it. But, uh, I mean, Batman's just my jam. I like Iron Man. That's not to sell RDJ short, but, uh, Batman's where I go, Jim. See, this is a good matchup. It's a good analog because it was something we really haven't touched on, uh, right just now is that, uh, these guys, neither one of them has any superpowers. They both just have money. Money! Batman can build gadgets and... Iron Man builds the suits. Uh, and I think in, in the respective universes, Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark are by far and away the richest people in the DCU and the MCU, or, or in, in Marvel and, and DC, respectively. Or, they, at least they're, as they're, far up there, yeah. Yeah, they're both billionaires. Uh, so they, they have chosen to use their money to to build suits and build gadgets and and uh, use their, their power to fight crime. But there's that famous exchange between uh, Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. in the first Avengers movie. Everything special about you came out of a bottle. Yeah, you put on the suit. You know, they're both picking on each other for their perceived shortcomings as long as they're kind of going after each other's throats a little bit. Um, of course, they eventually get their shit together and, you know, get on the same team and, and fight the common enemy. But nonetheless, um, yeah, neither one of these guys has any powers. They just have a lot of money and a lot of, of, of gumption uh, to want to fight crime. Um, so they're, they're, they're good analogs. And in terms of who kind of takes the cake and and being the overall sort of more impressive character, I elect not to choose. This one is a dead fucking heat for me. They're both so amazing. Yeah. I'm not going to do this. I don't think there's anybody else on this list that I'm, that I'm going to, uh, to say this about, but picking between Batman and Iron Man and saying, you know, who's quote unquote better, who takes the cake on it is a fool's errand. I mean, they both have, they're both so great. Um, you know, uh, gosh, you know, Batman dealing with his childhood trauma of seeing his parents murdered in front of him by using it to fight crime, and uh, uh, Tony Stark uh, being all sort of like uh, quippy and sarcastic, but still having the, the heart of gold and wanting to do the right thing all the time. They're both really complex psychologically. Uh, they both have really interesting motivations. 
they both I think are are can be held up as good examples because we look at like the billionaires in our world and what do they do? Um, you know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are kind of in a race to go to outer space. And again, we don't have time to unpack all the reasons why these guys are looking to leave the planet rather than save it with the money they have. Um, <laughs> but either one of those guys could have been Batman or Iron Man if they chose to be, but they aren't. They just, they're kind of greedy and they kind of just sit on their money. So in, in both cases, weak I sauce, think Bruce billionaires, Wayne, weak sauce. Yeah, you could do better, guys. You got all the resources in the world, you know, build a suit. Um, so if you want to look at uh, Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark as being analogs of each other, which they essentially are, uh, we want our billionaires to be benevolent. We want them to be altruistic. We want them to do good things for society. And, uh, you know, our billionaires are, are disappointments in comparison. So dead fucking heat. Can't pick one. All right. You heard it here, folks. First tie. So we're going to do a couple more quickies, and then we're going to take a break, because there's a couple of these that I don't have a whole lot to wax philosophical on, but... We're going to yeah. go into a few of them real quick. Uh, I'm going to throw out uh, Clayface versus Sandman. Clayface, of course, appearing in Detective Comics number 40, all the way back in June 1940, with Sandman first appearing in The Amazing Spider-Man number 4, September 1963. Clayface, of course, having several different iterations, being this moldable, shapeable, universal-type monster... Where, you know, he's a frightening aspect, but he's a shapeshifter. Eh, you get a lot of that. You get your mystiques. You get your your fucking shapeshifters all over the place. But really, uh, Sandman, of course, kind of has the ability to morph and, and manipulate himself uh, to a degree. But he's always just made of this sand. And um, they're kind of, you want to talk dead heat. I don't know. Uh, Sandman kind of, he took a villainous turn for a quite long time. He was part of the Frightful Four. He was, you know, a, a nemesis for Spider-Man for a long time. But he even made a, a heroic turn at one point, uh, appearing as a member of the Avengers for like 30 seconds. Uh, and then working with Silver Sable's, uh, uh, security squad and, uh, uh, before turning back to crime. But he's Silver like, Sable's security squad. Say that ten times fast. I will not. Um, but, <laughs> Good move. uh, in the, in the Marvel movies, uh, or not Marvel movies, I guess it would be Sony movies. He was played by Thomas yeah. Hayden Church and he was a great was actor. Fantastic. He brought a lot of pathos to the role. He brought a lot of, uh, heart, uh, to ostensibly you can sympathize a villain. With that what happened to his daughter. Right. Whereas we really haven't had much outside of, uh, Batman, the animated series. We haven't really had much, uh, on screen interpretation of Clayface. What? Clayface is also in the Harley Quinn cartoon. Yes. And very, he's very funny in that. Very odd. Very uh, Shakespearean. Ah. Yeah, they, they, they sort of recast him as being like this this brilliant mind trapped in this disgusting body that looks like a melting turd the whole time. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, sort of like for that reason, I guess just visually, the character, they're, they're very similar in terms of their abilities and, and their, their motivations, but visually... If, if the only real place they break is is their appearance. So I got to give you know if it, if it comes down to just the one thing that's really different about them, I'm going to give it to Sandman because at least he has the ability to reshape himself to look human. Clayface just looks like you know dog mess the whole time. He he, he can, but it's hard for him to maintain. Yeah. Uh, so you don't see it very often. All right. So I'll give it to Sandman as well, just because I really enjoyed Thomas Hayden Church's approach to the character in uh, Spider-Man Number Two. So yep. we will. Or was it two? Or was it three? I think it was three. Oh, you're right. Three. You're right. And number cause... two was Doc Ock. Number three, they went overload. They they they, they crammed uh, Venom, Sandman, and um, 
uh, Green Goblin version of his, the Green Goblin character. Yeah, they they crammed too many villains into it. Um, but yeah, he was a number right. three. So You're again, right. it's kind of it boils down to that sort of like um, the Affleck scenario, where you've got a great character actor, a great interpretation of the character, just, just kind of stuck in a shitty movie. But it's not his fault. Um, he did a good job with what he was given, and then the character itself was great. Right, so I'm going to give it to Sandman at this point. Yep. Uh, next one we're going to do, this is going to be a quick one. Uh, Guardian versus Captain America. Guardian, of course, first appearing in Star Spangled Comics number 7, April of 1942. Captain America appearing in Captain America Comics number 1, March 1941. This, unfortunately is one of the easiest ones we're going to have to talk about because, I mean, we don't have a whole lot of Guardian to go on. He's been around for a no. great long time. He's a shield-slinging superhero in, in the DC Universe. Uh, most recently played in live-action... Um, oh, I forget what his name is. The guy who played uh, Jimmy Olsen in the Supergirl show. Uh, hmm. played I don't him. know. I didn't see it. Uh, Makai Brooks, I believe, is his name. Okay. And uh, he, he also played Jax in the new uh, Mortal Kombat movie. Um, oh, okay. See, yeah. he's great. Me, I, I enjoyed him in the Mortal Brooks, Kombat film. Yeah. But uh, versus Captain America, I mean, how many different iterations of Captain America have we had versus television and cartoon and movie after movie after movie? Even throwing in the shitty-ass John Salinger character. Is it John yeah. Salinger? I think Matt Salinger, Matt Salinger. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Uh, as uh, with Ned Beatty, the late uh, deceased uh, Ned Beatty. But uh, of course, you can't ever mention Captain America without talking about America's ass himself, Chris Evans, and uh, right up there with Robert Downey Jr. as being the best casting. I mean, whoever do, whoever's doing the casting for the for the MCU just needs every award they could possibly throw at them for that because yeah i mean and, and you look at some of the folks like very famously John Krasinski also um, auditioned for that role and now they're talking about, there's persistent rumors that he and Emily Blunt are going to be playing Reed Richards and Sue Storm in whatever Fantastic Four movie comes out but they've consistently denied that but again like Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire have consistently denied they're in the next Spider-Man film <laughs> and you fucking know they are, they are. so you can't Come really on. you got to take all that shit with a grain of salt um but yeah, Chris Evans is just fantastic in the role. He 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 absolutely embodies that sort of big blue boy scout attitude, and he's just amazing. So yeah, uh, it's Cap, no Cap. Absolutely, I agree. That is America's ass. All right, sure. another quick one. Uh, we have Red Tornado Vision. Red Tornado's first appearance was in Justice League of America number sixty-four in August of nineteen sixty-eight. The Vision first appearance Avengers. Volume 1, number 57, October 1968. So a two-month difference separates these two. Uh, Red Tornado, I don't know a whole lot about. I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that out loud. Uh, I've either. seen a bunch of interpretations of him. I've seen a lot of takes of him. So I, most notably, I've seen uh, Red Tornado lately in the uh, Young Justice cartoon. Uh, which they brought back for another season. They're bringing it back for another one. They've got it working right now. I'm a huge fan of that series. Uh, they use him as kind of the mentor to the younger uh, Justice League members, uh, the Titans, if you will. Um, I mean, versus the Vision, who's been a, a card-carrying Avenger for for fucking ever, basically. More, most notably, yeah. recently played by Paul Bettany in the uh, MCU. 
And who to, is just hands down fantastic. And to great effect in WandaVision. I, I, mm-hmm. and, and now, okay, we've reached past, well past the spoiler moratorium for WandaVision. So here we go. They found a way to integrate a dead character back into the show. And they found a way to bring a dead character back that makes sense. That tracks. Yes. And for any of you who haven't watched WandaVision, I'm so sorry. You're well past the spoiler on this one. They brought yep. back Vision as a reconstructed white Vision, this uh, android created by the government who had all the all the powers but none of the memories, right? And then you had this idealized, fictionalized version of the deceased Avenger Vision that was played out through Scarlet Witch's love and, and remembrances and... and emotional feeling of what vision was Mm -hmm. and then you had the two of them meet in this fictional westfield westview town where they were doing battle until they stopped and had the entire ship what was it the ship of theseus uh lecture going back and forth if you replace the boards on this ship one at a time until no boards remain is it still the ship of theseus or is it something new and that's an amazing analogy for what happened with Vision. He was rebuilt from the ground up and replaced. And he's the same, but is he the same? Until yep. the two of them mash heads and the white Vision uh, got into the head of the emotional remembrance of Vision. And that colored him. That gave him humanity, so to speak. Yeah. So he flies off into the distance and... Uh, we've yet to see where he's going to end up, but... But we have not seen the last of him, I guarantee you. They would not have bothered setting up that character and making it so poignant if they didn't have big plans for, for him down the road. That was such an amazing thing they did with that character. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this again, I'm sorry to Red Tornado. I'm sure Red Tornado is a fantastic character, uh, but the but way But it's real. They, it's no contest on this one. The way they handled the vision, it just... It just works. Yep. It just works. Agreed. So... Uh, we're going to do one more and we're going to take a break. I hope that's okay with you. I'm sweating like a whore in church, so let's just move on. <laughs> uh, the next one we're going to get into is the Justice League versus, as a whole, versus the Squadron Supreme from Marvel. Now, again, here's another one I don't know a whole lot about. Uh, Justice League, of course, first appearing in Brave and the Bold, number 28, March 1960. Squadron Supreme, first appearing in the Avengers, number 85, February 1971. Uh, They do have a lot of similarities. Uh, Of course, everyone knows what the Avengers are, or the Justice League are, excuse me. Uh, The Justice League are the big heroes in in the DC Universe. Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman. I mean, that's just, that's the most ubiquitous form of the team. Of course, there's been additions and subtractions over the years. Squadron Supreme is basically uh, a Marvel knockoff version of Superman, a Marvel knockoff version of the Flash and the Green Lantern and all that, yada, yada, yada. They have basically analogs for each of the characters. Uh, Just given the fact that Squadron Supreme hasn't got a whole lot of play outside of the comics, they're in a really big arc right now uh, where they're led by uh, a kind of a villainous take on Phil Coulson in the comic books. Hmm. But other than that, they've never made really a, a on-screen debut. Uh, they'll always just kind of feel like a knockoff team to me. So, I mean, even without getting too far into it, 
I'm going to have to throw my weight behind the Justice League. Yeah, for all those reasons and more, I don't know anything about Squadron Supreme. I, I you know, I, I they, they've I've heard of them, but I have never read or seen anything really about them. Uh, so they just kind of seem like a weak echo of the much more firmly established and uh, full of household name heroes Justice League. So this one's just as much no contest as the last one was. Okay, so Justice League, you're getting it. Not not Zack Snyder's Justice League, just Justice League as a as a as a whole. Yeah, Zach, Zack Snyder's Justice League, man. I don't know, man. That's All right, conversation. that is. We're going to take another quick short break, and then we're going to get back to a few more of these mashups. I'm having fun. I'm almost yep. forgetting the fact that it's 180 degrees in the shade in here. So, <laughs> uh, When we come back, we will jump into uh, some more of these mashups, including team mashups, which I find interesting. So stick around. Okay, we're back. So now we're going to talk about one of the most blatant ripoffs. So mm-hmm. blatant, in fact, that they pointed out their own blatantness. They did it on did. purpose. It was intentionally blatant. That is, of course, Deathstroke the Terminator versus Marvel's Deadpool. The Merc with a Mouth. This one cracks me up. Oh, it, it always has. man. Because um, famously, Deathstroke came first. Um, so... Yes, absolutely. And then... Uh, Deathstroke... Yeah, Deathstroke came first. First appeared in, uh, the new Teen Titans number 2, December 1980. Uh, Deadpool first appeared in the New Mutants number 98, uh, February 1991. It's, it, he's a... Deathstroke, of course, being a red and black clad hero with a sword, and, uh, sort of, like, really blacked out eye holes on his mask. Well, kind of orange um, and named, black, named, really. Named I mean, Slade Wilson. Yes. Yeah, so. Uh, so, this is the first time that I think, you know, again, it's, uh, a lot of these characters were sort of inspired by, but Deadpool was the first character, I think, on this list we've talked about so far that was acknowledged a direct parody. And I'm going to say parody because we're using two different versions of that word here, parody and parody. And he is a parody of Deathstroke, and, and a hilarious one at that. I mean... He's, well, he's really taken on a whole new life of his own. Especially when they first started. Now, I had the New Mutants number 98. That was just one of the books I was collecting back then when I was collecting comics in my high school years. Uh, new Mutants was one of the books I collected. Uh, it formed into X-Force after New Mutants 100, which uh, was the final issue of New Mutants. Um, but Deadpool as a character started out a lot more serious. Kind of a rent-a-bad-guy uh, if you will, very quiet, very subdued, very ninja-like, uh, very Deathstroke-like. And, of course, Wade Wilson versus Slade Wilson, uh, like <laughs> you said, dev- designed to be a, a 100% ripoff. And I think uh, Lifefield did that on purpose just to be cheeky uh, because Lifefield was doing that back in the day. But mm-hmm. the thing is, Deadpool took on this whole other spin once he got his own limited series they started playing around with the character more and i mean that in all literal sense of the word they played with him they made him a toy they made him a joke they gave him like three or four voices inside of his head 
Uh, yeah. he, was, he was comedy. and, and He broke the fourth wall. He, he dropped quips all the time. He, he was aware of his status as a comic book character. Spider-Man with a sword, you know? I mean, he yeah. was designed initially to be just another rent-a-bad guy, but took on this other quality that... Now, if you look back at Slade Wilson, we haven't gotten much out of Deathstroke. Uh, we had him famously played by Joe Manganiello in uh, the one little segment of... Uh, the Justice League movie that he was in. There was supposed to be a big, uh, huge Deathstroke movie that they were putting together, and uh, that never came to fruition. Obviously, the DCU kind of fell apart before that. Uh, but we've had some pretty serious takes on him on the Arrow uh, CW show. We've also had a pretty serious take on him on Titans, the uh, DC Universe slash HBO Max show that they've got now. Uh, and, and he's always very serious, very very business oriented he's he's a, a mercenary who gets shit done if you mm-hmm. see if you see deathstroke on your ledger give up you don't want to see him there that's going to be one of the last things you see you've already lost so uh by the time you're aware of him you're already dead you're living on borrowed time exactly that so <clears throat> i mean this one it almost it starts out being an even comparison and ends up being apples and oranges really yeah uh, it does. Be- because the two ceased being similar almost right away. Uh, there was obviously an homage behind it, a tongue-in-cheek homage, <clears throat> but, but I mean, what Deadpool is and what Deathstroke the Terminator is, they're not the same anymore. It's really no. hard to compare the two. They, they started off as, uh, as kind of twins in a way, and then they, they ran off in opposite directions and kind of did their own thing. So it's tough to compare them. But if I had to, and, and given the conceit of this particular episode, I do, um, even though Deathstroke came first, uh, I'm, and, and uh, Deadpool is a direct parody, I'm giving it to Deadpool. Because he's just, as a character, he's just so much fun. He's fun to read, he's fun to watch, he's fun to play in the video games. He's just fun. Deathstroke is fine, but he's very grim, dark, and gritty, and, and that's the kind of thing that DC is doing a lot more these days. Uh, they don't really have as much of a sense of humor kind of across the board <laughs> as Marvel does. But Deadpool, and again, you, you kind of got to give it to, to Ryan Reynolds on this one because he loved that character, uh, fought for years to bring him to life in a way that made sense as opposed to like the original interpretation of the, of the character. We don't talk about uh, that. In the, in the Wolverine movie. No, we, we don't really talk about that. Uh, the fact that you take the Merc with a mouth, the guy who's quipping constantly, even more so than Spider-Man, and you sew his mouth shut, there, there couldn't have been a more tone-deaf take on that character. So it was always kind of Ryan Reynolds's thing to want to bring that character to, to life in a way that made sense. And, of course, the famous leaked test footage that uh, came out that, that, yeah, that people leaked. just clamored for the movie. Okay, leaked, Ryan. Whatever. Uh-huh. So because of Ryan Reynolds, we have Deadpool as being, again, like a household name character. And the fact that they actually had the balls to put him in these movies and, and do him justice as kind of a, a filthy R-rated character that's constantly dropping profanity and innuendo and breaking the fourth wall and do him right, even though he's... Uh, you know, it really paid off for them because it was the most, I think, successful R-rated film. Uh, certainly, the most R-rated, the most successful superhero R-rated film, which of which there weren't many. But that movie made tons of fucking money. It made tons of money, and the second one did. And of course, we're getting a third one, even though it's been held up by COVID, like so many things have. But Deadpool is just so much more fun of a character to read, to play, to watch on on, on screen. I, I love the guy. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm touching myself tonight. 
All right, here's an easy one. Or not not an easy one. This one, I'm going to play this one. This is a two different takes uh, with the same company versus one take from Marvel. So we're going to kind of discuss them hand in hand in hand. Uh, Mr. Fantastic from the Marvel Comics versus two different combatants. Ralph Dibney, the elongated man, and Plastic Man. Now... Uh, Mr. Fantastic uh, first appeared in uh, the Fantastic Four, number one, November 1961. Uh, now, Elongated Man, Ralph Dibney, appeared in The Flash, number 112, in February of 1960. Whereas Plastic Man first appeared in Police Comics, number one, in August of 1941. So obviously Plastic Man has been around for a good long time. Uh, whereas, uh, Mr. Fantastic has, uh, about a year under, uh, Elongated Man, who appeared a year before him, so, or not even a year, it's more like, uh, a year and a half, so, uh, and, and these are all characters who are malleable, stretchable, mm -hmm. uh, their, their whole modus operandi is to be, uh, flexible, pliable, silly putty, um, mm -hmm. With the notable exception of Plastic Man, who his ability kind of allows him to be more uh, shapeable. He's more of a, a, a I don't want to say a shape shifter, because he certainly doesn't do that. But uh, he can form he forms himself into shit like a park bench or a hot air balloon a or car. a car. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of comedy built into. Uh, Eels O'Brien there, the uh, old plastic man, whereas they didn't really touch on that too much with Ralph Dibney. He was more of a detective. Um, most notably, if he smelled something funny going on, his nose started twitching. Mm -hmm. And like a very noticeable twitch because he had a huge-ass nose because he stretched it out. <laughs> but uh, they didn't really make a serious play of him until, uh, I want to say, uh, one of the crisis events... Uh, where his wife was um, raped and murdered. Uh, Women in refrigerators again. Right, they refrigerated her for good. Um, whereas Mr. Fantastic's been around since the 60s, he's always kind of been this dry, science-minded um, hero, but really more of a scientist. Uh, definitely one of the smartest yep. men on the room, no matter what room you're in. Um, I... I as far as name recognition goes, outside of uh, comics, we've only really gotten one interpretation of uh, Ralph Dibney, which was in the uh, Flash uh, television show, um, whose actor, I forget the name of his actor all of a sudden, but he was very problematic after a couple of seasons. They discovered some old tweets, and they Oof. fired his ass. Uh, so... Uh, which, I mean, he, he expressed attrition and, and said he was sorry and everything, but at the same time, too little, too late. You know what I'm saying? Yep, I do. Um, whereas we've had several different takes uh, from the Ralph Corman to uh, the 2000s takes on Mr. Fantastic with Owen Grofeld, uh, and then now even to the rumors with John Krasinski. Um, I've always felt that that kind of character has comedy built into it, and you don't necessarily want to see it played for comedy. I've always rather enjoyed Reed Richards uh, as a character. Uh, super, yeah, I'm kind super of Superhero second. That, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm bummed out that given the rights, uh, Marvel having sold off the rights to some of their characters back in the day for <clears throat> a little bit of extra spending cash, uh, that uh, the Fantastic Four have had several disastrous on-screen interpretations. Um, you know, some more tolerable than others, but none of them fantastic, no pun intended. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but, yeah, Reed Richards as a character is great, and I've always been kind of bummed out that I'll never get a chance, given the way things played out with, with the rights and how these movies had to come together, that we'll never have that scene that I've always kind of wanted of um, seeing... Tony Stark, Reed Richards, and Bruce Banner talking about science at the top floor of the Baxter Building. You, you, you will never get that. We won't ever get it. And that's kind of a bummer to me. The closest we got is, uh, you know, the, oh, finally, someone who speaks English scene between Tony and Bruce in one of the Avengers movies. But we'll never see the three of them kind of kicking it around and coming up with something that, that works for all three of them. Um, so, yeah. But Reed Richards is a great character. He's a little serious for my taste. I always like to have a little bit of a mixture of, like, you know, some seriousness and some levity. Um, any character that, that that's going to be serious has got to be, like Batman, kind of serious all the time. Um, but he's, he's just, you know, as, as a character, I like him, but he just never really grabbed me emotionally. Um, I don't know. I, I think he's a great character, but um, uh, among the three, if we're talking about um, Dibney and Plastic Man and Reed Richards, I think... In, in the sort of head-to-head-to-head matchup on this one, I got to give it to uh, Elastigirl, Helen Parr from The Incredibles. <laughs> hey, now, you're not following the rules. I'm cheating, but I love... The, the Incredibles is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, superhero movies of all time. Second one was pretty good, too, but that first one was fantastic, um, even though every one of those characters was kind of, again, if we want to really get completely meta with this episode, every one of them was a rip-off of somebody else. Um, you know, Violet was essentially Sue Storm with the invisibility in the force fields, and Dash was essentially your sort of standard speedster, and um, uh, Bob Jack, was, Jack was, was just sort of like Jack, a big... Jack needed to be. Yeah, but Helen, Helen was absolutely the uh, the sort of XP of uh, the bendable character. But I really loved what all the stuff they did with her in that one. She was kind of a combination of all, she could turn herself into a parachute or a speedboat like Plastic Man could. She could sort of reach across and pluck a security card out of some goon's pocket to get into a security door like uh, Reed Richards would. I just think when, it, when, you're, when you're talking about the, the expandable uh, character, the, the, the stretchy can turn into anything sort of like, you know, I really think she is, to me, the most uh, effective and most enjoyable version of that particular concept. So I'm going to go co- totally off script here. I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to say that uh, you can toss all four of them into a box, and Helen Parr comes out on top. Yeah, you cheated, but I'll give you that one. You get that one. All right, we're going to go with a couple of team-based ones here now. We have the Green Lantern Corps versus the Nova Corps. Green Lantern Corps first appearing in uh, Showcase number 22 uh, in September 1959. The Nova Corps appearing in Fantastic Four number 205, April 1979. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the Nova Corps. I'm going to go right out and say it. They're space cops. I know that yeah. much. They showed up in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. That's all I know about them. I never I never saw a comic with them in it. I Nova, never read any books that actually Nova's Nova been a character, a rotating character. Different versions of Nova have been around for years uh, in various incarnations. Uh, you, know, you know, Richard Ryder and then... Uh, Sam Alexander being the youthful one that they had in the champions for a while um, versus the Green Lantern Corps who are space cops uh, powered by the Green Lantern rings each charge are taking care of a sector of space um, mm-hmm. and that's why we have like Hal Jordan being the space cop for our sector of course then we have you know John Stewart and 
all sorts of we have all Guy sorts Gardner. of Gar Gardner and Jessica Cruz and Simon uh, Boz and and all sorts of human Green Gar or Green Lanterns now. Um, we're not going to get too deep into this one just because I said, like I said, we don't know a whole lot about the Nova Corps. Uh, I'm sure they're great. Um, they exist. They don't exist. They exist. They don't exist. Uh, same as the Green Lantern Corps. They're here. They're dead. They're here. They're dead. Um, but as far as kind of the way they are played and the way that they work, I'm going to give it to the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, just yeah. because uh, there's something about that, the, the rings of power and the willpower and the, the strength of The fact of that they're universe-wide. Yeah, exactly. And, and they are, too, in the Nova Corps. I'll give them that. But, I mean, just you know more about the Green Lantern Corps. They've been a better presence, a more uh, widely known presence. For me, anyways. This is all just, again, these are all just... Uh, opinions we, we know we, we stand a chance of being wrong if you feel that if you feel a way about it definitely don't hesitate to let us know how you feel but i um, kind of feel like um you know the the uh the green lantern thing they get the nod uh kind of for a, a, a an opposite reason that deadpool does they get it despite ryan reynolds um <laughs> which again played very much for laughs in in the last deadpool movie when uh Ryan Reynolds uses his time powers to uh, Deadpool. You see, they're they're inextricably linked. Also, I just refer to Deadpool as Ryan Reynolds, but he uses his powers to uh, the time bending powers to go back and murder himself as soon as he gets the uh, the Green Lantern script. So he's had a lot of fun with that. He's kicked it around. Uh, just don't make the suit green or animated. Um, so <laughs> yeah, even though we haven't really had a, a totally successful live action on screen interpretation of Green Lantern yet, despite. Best attempts. Um, They're working on yeah, an Green HBO Lantern Max Corps. show right now that looks to be pretty goddamn good. Well, I can't wait to see that. Uh, but yeah, Green Lantern Corps definitely gets the nod in this one. All right, now here's another team-based one. The Doom Patrol. DC's Doom Patrol versus the X-Men. Doom Patrol first appearing in My Greatest Adventure number 80, June 1963. Versus the X-Men's first appearance in The X-Men number 1. September of 1963, so both in the same year, a couple months apart. Uh, Doom Patrol most recently has their DCU slash uh, HBO Max show, um, which a really fantastic turn for Brendan Fraser. I yeah. really, really love Brendan on that show. Um, they got Pierce Brosnan on that show. He does pretty good. No, no, not Pierce Brosnan. Excuse me. They got Timothy Dalton on that show, and he does a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, Easy to get those bonds confused. It is. But, I mean, really, that's it. Certainly, yeah. name recognition, uh, X-Men, comes to mind. And yeah, Stan Doom Lee... Doom Patrol's just underrepresented. Stan Lee's even come out and said that he basically ripped off the Doom Patrol. He wanted his version of these outcast characters who can't blend into society. You know what I mean? And yeah. and so that's how he famously came up with the term mutant and the, and the idea behind these mutants who can't show themselves in public without being mutants, you know? And so... And they've even gotten down to the same conceit of be the man in the chair, you know? Uh, Dr. Niles Calder leading the uh, uh, the Doom Patrol versus Dr. Charles Xavier, Professor Charles Xavier, Dr. Professor Charles Xavier. Uh, leading Reverend the Dr. X-Men. Professor Charles Xavier III, Esquire. <laughs> <clears throat> However many goddamn titles Charles owns, but... Uh, Chuck. Chucky boy. 
but yeah, so I mean, they 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 their homage down to the crippled dude in the wheelchair leaving the team, and so I mean, uh, just for ubiquitous name purposes alone, I'm gonna have to give it to the X Men just because we've got so much more experience with them, we've got so much more material with them. The stuff they're doing with the Doom Patrol on the HBO Max show now is really good. I really like it. Like I said, Brendan Fraser's fucking amazing. Yep. But, I mean, you're never going to be able to get rid of the, the shadow that the X-Men cast. Yeah, they've just got so much history, so much diversity. They've had so many people <clears throat> in and out of that team that it's really difficult to uh, compare the two. And again, kind of like Deadpool versus Deathstroke, even though the X-Men came later and are kind of an acknowledged um, ripoff in a way, uh, the X-Men have just done so much more with what they've been, uh, what's, what's put in front of them, what they've been given. They, they're just such a, a pop culture uh, force that it's, it's really hard to deny that they, they kind of take the cake on this one. Agreed. So X-Men, you get the nod, you mutant bastards. We got, a, we got two more we're going to discuss. We're going to throw out some, some honorable mentions here uh, that we're going to do rocket quick, but we got two more that I really want to get into before we end the podcast. First one being Green Arrow Hawkeye. The Green Arrow first appearing in More Fun Comics number 73 in November 1941. Hawkeye first appearing as a villain in Tales of Suspense number 57 in September of 64. And later joining the Avengers in Avengers 16, 1965. So, Hawkeye has had a pretty decent recent success with his appearance in the MCU played by Jeremy Renner. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fantastic. I like Jeremy Renner. Uh, his new show on the Disney Plus coming out soon, uh, also titled Hawkeye, uh, introducing the female Hawkeye, Kate Bishop. I'm looking forward to that. Haley um, Steinfeld? Yes, absolutely. Absolute tremendous actress. Fantastic. However, I'm going to depart with my normal marvelness here and look over at Green Arrow, a character who up until about 10 years ago was pretty much a joke. Uh, yeah. A social justice warrior. who Kind of ro- much the same way as Aquaman was. Very much a Robin Hood analogy. Down to um, the uh, outfit. And the fucking goatee. And fu- just... They didn't always play him for jokes and laughs, but he was kind of more uh, levity. Uh, often teamed up with uh, with uh, the Green Lantern, um, just kind of like a buddy cop thing. Uh, so no one really you know took it super seriously until I want to say like the late '90s, early 2000s. They started writing him a bit more dramatically. Kevin Smith took a turn writing his comic recently, uh, within the last couple decades recently, I guess. In the in the, in the 1990 was 10 years ago, right? Yep. Um, yeah. But <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always and forever. But, of course, played uh, by Stephen Amell in the CW's uh, Green Arrow show, Arrow. And you cannot separate the character anymore. No. He played that character so well that you can't separate it anymore. And that's what we talked about with Ryan Reynolds, is that's how you get to be... Uh, the stronger character. If there's a cha- is there mm-hmm. if there's a way that you just can't see anyone else playing the role, then I same mean, with Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. Exactly that. I mean, and so that's not to take anything away from what uh, Renner has done with the role. I've really enjoyed 
uh, Hawkeye uh, in the co- or not in the comics, but excuse me, but in the uh, in the uh, MCU. But uh, I want to say we've had more time spent and more development spent with uh, Stephen Amell's uh, character Oliver Queen, and and I don't know. That's just kind of where I'm leaning. What about you? Um, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go Hawkeye in this one. Okay. Only because I Show think, your work. well, as, as much as they've done with both characters, I think Hawkeye has had, I mean, kind of a more interesting story because they, um, I don't know, even apart from his, his, uh, Jeremy Renner's fantastic turn in the MCU films, um, and they've really kind of played with this. There's rumors they may play with it a little bit more in the series, but uh, in certain versions of the timeline, in certain versions of the canon, Hawkeye is is deaf. He's hearing impaired, mm-hmm. uh, so he kind of relies on, you know, his other senses. Not not quite as much as as like a uh, a daredevil would, but he sort of relies on on his other senses to be able to uh, uh, to do his job and and get his his yayas out in terms of what he needs to do uh, for the hero work. So. More than any other reason for that. Well, and again, and I, I will admit to a certain amount of personal bias. Well, extreme amount of personal bias because I'm definitely a huge Marvel fan. Uh, I, I like a lot of the DCEU stuff and the DC stuff, but I'm a lot less familiar with the character. I never, as I said before, never really watched the Arrow show. Um, I've seen some clips, and Stephen ML looks really great in the role. He's obviously done some fantastic work. I just never really got into the series. So as a purely deeply biased personal choice, I'm just more familiar with Hawkeye. I love Jeremy Renner's work. I love what they do with the character in the comics. So I got to lean that direction. Fair enough. All right. So now time for our honorable mentions. These are characters that we we want to talk about, but this episode will be six hours long. Mm-hmm. I'm being about that. Uh, Dark Side Thanos. Uh, just on the outs of what we've gotten from them in their cinematic universes. I'm going to give it to Thanos. Dark Side, of course, didn't make much of an appearance until uh, the Snyder Cut, uh, in which case I could have taken him or leaving him at that point. Yeah, Dark Side very famously killed Superman, even though he didn't really stay dead. Uh, but killed Thanos Batman, killed too. Half of, yeah, yeah uh, but Thanos killed half of all the life in the universe. So, in terms of being just a badass, yeah, we, we got to give uh, Thanos the nod on that one. Okay, another uh, uh, honorable mention. Doctor Fate versus Doctor Strange. Uh, Fate first appearing in 1940, Strange appearing in 1963. Uh, again, we haven't had a whole lot of on-screen Doctor Fate. That's going to change with the Shazam, not Shazam movie. This is going to change with the Black Adam movie, uh, where he is going to be played by Pierce Brosnan. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, his take on, on this character. This character is a mystical character who uh, is imbibed with the spirit of this uh, ancient power when he puts on the helmet uh, versus Doctor Strange, who is just ridiculously good at magic and the Sorcerer Supreme. Right, Sorcerer Supreme gets it in my opinion. Plus, ably played by Benedict Cumberbatch, and anyone who can take a role like that and, and just kind of make fun with it, which and and Doctor Strange, a, a very out of the ordinary character to try and make a household name. Uh, uh, Humpty Butt can't Cucumber Patch made quite a quite a take of it. Yeah, and Buster Brown Cubbyhole with the perfect American accent, it must be said. I mean, you know, he's 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 always kind of had like an exotic look, Bristlebrock Capricorn. So to, in order to be able to to put um a guy like Billy Goat Cobblestone in your movie and have 
him really just run away with that role in a way that that makes sense for the screen that he really takes this sort of like again like b-list second string character from the mcu and makes him a household name as much as blister pat commonplace is um he's done a fantastic job with it so um i'll do credit to bangladesh Chamberpot for taking that character and just running with it um love that guy love the character love what he's done in the mcu Okay, so a couple more honorable mentions. These are going to go quicker. Suicide Squad Task Force X versus the Thunderbolts. Uh, I love the Thunderbolts. We've talked about my love of the Thunderbolts. What they're doing with the Thunderbolts in the MCU is exciting. But we've definitely gotten more on-screen versions of the Suicide Squad. We know more about what that is. Uh, So they're going to edge out Thunderbolts for me for now. Yeah, I've seen a couple of trailers now for the new Suicide Squad movie that's coming out. The old one, eh, even though it has some massive star power behind it, Will Smith did a great job. Uh, Margot Robbie did a fantastic job. Everybody in the movie did a great job with what they were given. They looked great, um, but just it fell flat. Uh, Not you, Jared Leto. (laughs) Yeah, not you, Jared Leto. But from what I've seen of the uh, the trailers so far of the James Gunn version... It just looks like it's going to kick the other one's ass around the block six ways to Sunday. So, yep, Suicide Squad gets it here. Okay, uh, another uh, quick honorable mention, Superman versus the Sentry. Uh, Superman, of course, needs no introduction from 1938 uh, versus the Sentry, who first came to us in 2000. Uh, Sentry, of course, they tried to retcon into a character who has, quote-unquote, been there all along. And this super-powered guardian of justice and... All this shit, who's got a dark side, his dark side's called the Void, and he keeps that in check inside until he doesn't anymore, and then loses his goddamn mind and kills everybody, and and just, I mean, you can't knock Superman, you're never gonna knock Superman off of that pedestal, it's just, like I said, that's why he's an honorable mention in this case, it's not even worth a mention. Um, Soups wins, hands down, no question. There's always going to be your Superman analogs. There's always going to be your Omni-Mans or your Sentries or your your fucking Homelander or whatever. But Superman himself is so entrenched in the culture, uh, new humans today are being born with genetic knowledge of Superman already in their brains. You don't remember a time when you weren't aware of Superman. It's how ubiquitous that guy is in the pop culture. So Superman runs away with it and runs very quickly away with it. And the last honorable mention before we get to our final entrant is going to be Batman Moon Knight. Uh, we talked about Batman first appearing in 1939. Moon Knight first appeared in Werewolf by Night number 32 in 1975. We don't know a whole lot about Moon Knight. Mark Spector, uh, this hero of Khonshu, who was this Egyptian demigod kind of thing. And, and Mark Spector notably has this real severe uh, dissociative disorder where he's got several multiple personalities in his head. Uh, We're going to see a version of him placed by the amazing Oscar Isaac in the MCU coming forward on a so fantastic Disney Plus show. I'm looking forward to that. But, as stated previous with Superman, Batman gets the nod just because he's Batman. Come on. Well, and Batman also just has a better costume. Like, if you're going to be a, um, a crime fighter that, that only goes out at night... You want to wear some darker colors so they don't see you coming. Moon Knight runs around in a white suit. I just can't. I don't. I don't understand the, the, the thought process behind that. Yeah. Yeah. He's. They're going to see you coming a mile away. They're going to shoot at you. They're going to hide. They're going to run away. Whatever it is. If you want to be a, a camouflaged, nightbound character, then you you want to wear some subdued shades. And, and Mark Spector missed the memo. 
Last but not least, here's what I wanted to talk about, and this is going to be an interesting one. Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, uh, first <laughs> appearing in All American Comics number 61 in October of 1944, versus The Incredible Hulk, first appearing in Incredible Hulk number one of May of 1962. Now, I don't know a whole hell of a lot about Solomon Grundy. He's a powerhouse. He's yeah. He's got the same... From what I've been reading about him recently, he's got kind of the same kind of emotional trauma that uh, Bruce Banner has, except uh, he doesn't shift form. You know what I mean? So we've got... Bruce Banner, of course, is the scientist. Hulk is his uh, giant jade alter ego uh, who comes out when he gets mad, most notably... Uh, unless it's Professor Hulk, in which case we won't get into that. But um, whereas Solomon Grundy stays in the same form, he just takes on different kind of personality swings, and uh, it's it's really difficult because I mean we've seen so many different versions of Solomon Grundy, not throughout just throughout the comics or video games or uh, cartoons or whatever you have you. Versus, I mean, we've gotten a couple of different takes on the Hulk. Uh, most notably, like Lou Ferrigno and uh, Ed Norton and Eric Bana, Eric Bana. but Mark Ruffalo, then, of course. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, yeah. yeah. But now, I don't really know anything about Solomon Grundy either. My my main exposure to him was seeing him pop up on occasion on the Super Friends cartoon that was on in the '80s when I was a kid. Cyrus, and Gold. I never really his quite name knew was Cyrus Gold. I never really knew what his deal was. Like every other sort of supervillain in the Rogues Gallery had a snappy name and he had a fun outfit and had like clear powers and then Solomon Grundy would show up and he was just kind of a zombie character wearing like disheveled clothes I wasn't really sure how he kind of fit into the overall thing I wasn't really sure what he brought to the team and to be fair I'm kind of still not like I don't know much about that guy um I just remember him kind of being gray and gross and just being on the periphery and punching stuff once in a while. So I don't find him all that interesting. Uh, he may have more of a, a backstory than I'm aware of. He probably does. Most characters do, especially if they're used for that long. They, they come up with things to make them vital or, or relatable to different yeah. situations, relatable, interesting, whatever. But I just don't know. He, I've never found him you know, even interesting enough to learn more about. He just kind of shows up once in a while and does stuff, and it's not really all that interesting. Um, so for that reason... You know, I have to give it to the Hulk, because the Hulk, I don't know, and I'm speculating here, this might be the case, but I don't know for sure. Obviously, the Hulk was created, um, well, not obviously, but to me at least, it seems like the Hulk was is the embodiment of dudes that turn into assholes when they get pissed off. And we've all known those people, whether it's like, you know, a boyfriend or a stepdad or somebody at work who's fine most of the time, but they're Jekyll and Hyde, that's a real archetype for the character. They run real hot and cold, they get angry, and then they just kind of go off and, and become a different version of themselves that can't be controlled and has to be dealt with and just leaves a trail of destruction in their wake. And a lot of the time it's emotional, or maybe, you know, they, they might punch stuff or break things or whatever. But it seems pretty obvious to me that that was the motivation for the characters. The guy who's reasonable and thoughtful most of the time, but then he gets pissed off and just blows up and gets, gets irrational. And to me, that makes the character interesting because it's the external embodiment of a concept, a, a character archetype, a person, a type of person that we all know in our lives on some level. And... So we can kind of relate to it. We, we, we relate to it because it's it's something that we recognize. Right. And and again, um, not having... I, I come out fully admitting that I don't know a whole lot about Solomon Grundy. 
so that's up to you guys. If you guys feel the need to educate us or tell us where we're wrong, we absolutely welcome that. But it, like you said, uh, for all those reasons and more with the Jekyll and Hyatt and physical embodiment of uh, this inner rage, I'm going to give it to Incredible Hulk. And we've just seen more examples of Hulk being uh, used appropriately in the comics, except for you, Eric Bana, which... God damn it. Yeah, less to say about that, the better. But in, in addition to being sort of a, a, a physical embodiment of uh, people who kind of fly off the handle of, of bipolarity, if you will, I mean, it's kind of a, a physical manifestation of mental illness in a way. Um, you know, that, that also makes it interesting from, from that perspective, uh, just because it's, it's an examination of that, that philosophy and that mindset and that sort of like particular um, thing that some people have to go through. And whether or not you experience it yourself or whether you've experienced it secondhand from somebody you love who goes through it, it just helps to kind of contextualize that a little bit, I think. I agree. Uh, so there you have it, kids. Uh, our takes on who wore it better. Uh, if you've got a comment or would like to suggest a pairing that maybe we missed out on or you would have liked to talk about, hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. You could throw us an email at uh, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or throw us an email at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, and that's where you want to send show suggestions, guest suggestions, and, like Renee did, pie recipes. And you want to be like Renee. Renee is amazing. Be cool like Renee. Send us pie recipes. And, of course, you can find us on all your favorite podcast syndication platforms, your Spotify's, your iHeartRadio's, your Stitcher's, your Player FM's, whatever you got on your device. And the latest and greatest episode is always up at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. Absolutely, and we also have our Venmo set up for our charitable donations. You can reach us on Venmo at Fuel Your Fandom, and that's just that easy. If you'd like to send uh, uh, a little something, something to help keep the show going, that's fantastic. Just make sure your market is such. If you would like to send a charitable donation to the Fuel the Future uh, program that we're doing right now for the kids, uh, market as such, we will definitely set it aside and get that donated. Uh, as of right now, uh, we are working on the artwork and the logos for Fuel the Future, and we will be kicking that program into full gear very shortly. I imagine uh, before the end of summer. I'm super excited about that. So, um, But from Jim and I, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. And do remember what we always try to remind you. Everything, even pie, everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care. I'm sweating like a whore in church, so let's just move on. Well, that's why you need those underwear I keep on railing on about. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a push-up bra for your nutsack. <laughs>